You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Tonight we'll begin a new study. Uh, we plan, Lord willing, to have uh, three weeks of study on the uh, book of Ruth. Tonight we'll look at the first chapter as uh, Naomi and her situation, it goes from uh, empty to apparently less. She leaves home in a straight, uh, straightened and difficult situation and comes back home in a worse one. But in this period of the history of God's people, the book of Ruth is the one we prefer to study the most. It's a subject of the most books and of the Certainly the most Bible classes, often it's the subject of ladies' Bible classes because our, uh, well, the, the character uh, from which we get the name of the book and her mother-in-law, uh, women, uh, it's not really a, a woman's story anymore than it's a human story. But uh, uh, I remember my mother in several of the ladies' Bible classes she had while uh, she was, uh, while I was growing up, uh, she had some different books on Ruth uh, from time to time for, for those Bible classes. Don't know, I have any idea about the quality of them. I never read them, but uh, I know they were always present. But in, in the book of Ruth, what we'll find is a story of faithful redemption. And Boaz, uh, the uh, man of Israel, who will eventually, and without spoiling the book, because I think you know how this goes, uh, Boaz will marry Ruth. Uh, he really plays uh, the part of the Lord as a faithful uh, kinsman, redeeming husband uh, to Naomi. And in so many ways, that parallels the gospel. Uh, we have been saved by our kinsman, a redeemer for us, who helps us when we were helpless, who provides for us when we were poor and needy. And so this kinsman uh, to Naomi uh, becomes the husband and provider for Ruth not the only time that uh, uh, different men in the Bible uh, are uh, directly uh, uh, playing a parallel role and an instructive role for the generations to come uh, uh, regarding God uh, and have the role there uh, of a husband as God is a husband to Israel. Uh, we think that Boaz certainly had a better draw in that regard than, say, uh, the prophet Hosea, uh, who got to be a faithful husband to an unfaithful spouse. Here we have Boaz get to be a faithful and good husband uh, to a foreign spouse. And in these things, the, the ways of God are illustrated in human events. These, uh, this story uh, of Ruth is the good news anecdote for the two terrible uh, stories that are contemporaneous to it. The book of Judges takes place at the same time as the book of Ruth. The best guess is that the story of Ruth takes place around the same time as the story of Gideon. And that is a time when uh, the uh, people of Israel faced terrible hardship and oppression. And Gideon was beating out his uh, last uh, bit of bread in a wine press, hiding his uh, meager harvest as he was trying to get bread for his family. And we uh, know that uh, Ruth will 
be the great-grandmother of David, the great king. And so it works out that it might have been around the time of Gideon, or shortly thereafter, that this story takes place. In the end of the book of Judges, there are two, I call them appendixes of evil. There are two stories in the book of Judges at the end, chapter 17 and 18, a story centering around a, a, a mercenary priest, just a really uh, a disreputable and unlikable character. And um, then after that, maybe even a worse story where there's a nigh-on civil war ending in a great fratricide uh, that cost most of the tribe of Benjamin their lives. Uh, uh, the horrible atrocity of terrible hospitality, of attempted uh, 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 rape in the ways of Sodom, uh, just every kind of superstition, of curse, of idol worship, of unfaithfulness, of lack of care, of lack of concern, of just pagan-level nasty brutality in the time of the judges. And here, at the same time, in a little town, in the middle of the country, at this point kind of out of the way, a little south of the big population centers, a little town of Bethlehem. We know the little town of Bethlehem so well from later Bible stories, but this is where its place in the story of God really gets going. And it's just, a, it's a lovely story in so many ways, because though there is such privation and hardship and loss in the early uh, chapter, and that'll be tonight's study uh, of the book, uh, we see still people in this hardship who are seeking after God, people who have a good work ethic, people who are generous, people who are virtuous and uh, act with integrity. Uh, they care about what's right, and they do what's right. They even follow proper procedures to do the things that are right. And so in that horrible picture of the book of Judges, when there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, in the book of Judges, that's just a moral horror story, because people just did whatever they wanted. But in the book of Ruth, at the same time, in another place, and among another set of families, that when people did what was right in their own eyes, well, that was right, because they sought after right, and they did what was right. But ultimately, it's not just this lovely and wonderful human story, uh, almost uh, like a romance-type uh, uh, novel. It's not just about that, and not just about the goodness of these people, but it is this picture of uh, helplessness and a problem that's solved by this kinsman redeemer who follows the law to bring in those outside the law and make them part of the family. And so a story of faithfulness, the story of fidelity, the story of God's law working properly, and this unlikely recipient and blessed one, Ruth. Uh, remember, she was of Moab, as the Apostle Paul would say about all those outside of Israel, Ephesians 2.12, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger to the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in this world. And yet comes one Moabite, a woman who uh, becomes a member of the house of Israel, who becomes the great-grandmother of the great king David, 
and of course then about the 40th great-grandmother to the Lord himself. She's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So, a story of faithful redemption. Now, chapter 1, from emptiness to apparently even less. We'll start in verses 1 through 14, the story of misfortune. There's some sojourners who start off, again, with not much. That's why they go on a sojourn. And it seems the longer they sojourn, the less they have. But through this series of events, Ruth is going to be brought in with Naomi back to Bethlehem. So verse 1, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed, as we just spoke, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went on a sojourn to the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. So again, probably in the time of the Midianite oppression, uh, of the uh, time of of Gideon, uh, these go to Moab. And it's ironic that they have to leave, because of economic necessity and hardship, they have to leave Bethlehem. The word Beth in Hebrew is the word house. And the second part of that is the word Hebrew word for bread. And so Bethlehem, the name of the place is the house of bread. Here are people suffering great privation in the house of bread. Something ironic there, sort of like today, if, if somebody didn't have enough to eat in the city of wheat. Uh, there is one of those in West Virginia. Or maybe if they, they didn't have enough to eat in the city of Wheat Hill, New York. Or maybe they were out of food in oatmeal. Texas, or corn, Oklahoma. I'll stop that now. Also, because I'm pretty much out of town's name for food. One more. Like a person who goes broke in the town of Prosper, Texas. All right, so it's just contrary to everything, contrary to the blessings you'd expect, contrary to everything that the man of Bethlehem would have expected. His name, verse 2, was Elimelech. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of their two sons, Malhon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. And so it was so bad in Bethlehem, it wasn't just a quick trip. It wasn't just for a season. They lived there. They moved there. That's where they made their new home. But in the course of time, it says in verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They were there long enough that these boys finished growing up, and they married. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And so now, here they are ten years on. They've mar- married, they, they've made their home. Uh, with their new wives, Orpah and Ruth. You might semi-recognize the name Orpah. The story is that Oprah's parents were uh, going to name her after this character in the Bible and got the spelling wrong. So we got Oprah instead of Orpah. But we find that now, after that 10 years, that now the sons die. That both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman, the women were... Uh, bereft of her two children, Naomi was, and her husband. And so four in the family went. Only one remains with now 
these foreign daughters-in-laws. And so we've got the plight now of, of three widows, uh, one a foreigner and two who had married foreign men, and they're all left alone. So, verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. And so things had changed in the last decade, and the house of bread now had bread in it once again. And so she decides to return to Israel. So those providential conditions that had driven them away, uh, now they're going to drive her back home. And she's not going to have much to carry with her, but she's going to have that one piece of precious cargo that it appears that she was intended to pick up all along, that all this was the per for the purpose of bringing back this one Ruth, this Moabite uh, woman to Israel. And I, I know we're speaking about what Providence is doing, but it's so obvious to me, at least, and I'm firmly convinced that this was intentional. This was the plan of God to bring back this one and show her, after a time, the great blessings and teach us all a lesson about the provision of God. Like Jesus said in John 13, as he had washed the disciples' feet, he said, what I do to you, you do not realize now, but you'll understand hereafter. And so how much of that is true of the story of Ruth and so many things in our lives that it's clear in hindsight alone. Uh, we have this poem and we sing it set to music. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. And so this is the, uh, the storm clouds gathering phase of the story, the terrible beginning that will turn into an outburst of grace and mercy. So verse 7, she, Naomi, departed from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return back to the land of Judah. So they all start back, and now she's going to tell them both to stay. Uh, she really cares that uh, Naomi does, that these girls have, well, women, uh, these women have as good a chance for prosperity and happiness as they can have to stay with their own people, to stay uh, in their own land, go and try to find themselves husbands. Saying verse uh, uh, 8, Naomi says to them, Go return each to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she's not leaving them because she has complaint, but leaving because she thinks that will be what is best. May the Lord grant you that you find rest, each in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, 
And they lifted up their voices and wept. And so it was time for parting. It was the time in which there, there would be no long-distance phone calls. Uh, there'd be no FaceTime video conferencing. Uh, there'd be no uh, communication uh, with them after she left. This was going to be the final parting. And so she blesses them and tells them to go and find peace and happiness as best they can. We know eventually Ruth finds that greatly. For Orpa, we don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll hope that she had a good life, uh, that uh, the blessing that uh, Naomi asked for her uh, came to, to be fulfilled as uh, she had intended to offer it. But they said to her, no, we'll surely return with you and go with your, to your people. No, we're, we're staying with you. Uh, that's how good their mother-in-law uh, had been uh, to them. Uh, that's how good the relationship was, that they thought it's best if we stay together, even if now we are the ones going to sojourn to another country and without much prospects for anything good there, but uh, just a, a relationship with each other. But Naomi said, return my daughters. So they were, they were in-laws, but they were daughters. And such is the relationship we'd strive to have and hope to have in our own lives and relationships today. Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husband? I can't give you what you want. I can't give you uh, what you really need in this life. And so please go. Return, my daughters. I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you therefore wait for them to be grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And up to this point, I think Naomi would, would have to only conclude that, that the Lord's hand has not blessed me. I, I, I was in poverty. I was in distress in my uh, homeland. We went to another land to try and do well there, and we, we did okay for a while. And we, uh, Our sons found daughters or found wives, and uh, they like daughters to me, but now they're gone too, and now I have to go. And so uh, the blessings that uh, the law promised to the faithful, uh, those hadn't been evident yet in Naomi's life. Now before the end, we're going to find them in great abundance. But at this point, the hand of the Lord has not blessed her in the ways that she had expected, uh, the way that anybody would count. Uh, she's going to go back home and say, call me, but bitter. Uh, call me uh, disappointed, but she has the thing that God intended for her to have, and she has with her among these two women uh, the great blessing uh, that she doesn't even fully recognize yet, the blessing of Ruth. And so they lifted up their voices and wept again. So parting like a funeral, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so they're all in this sad situation together. And Orpah makes what would appear to be a pretty reasonable and rational choice. She, she's going to go with the blessing of her mother-in-law. She'll certainly go, I'm sure, with the good wishes of Ruth as well. But Ruth has decided that there's something more important than me finding a husband. There's something more important uh, than what's uh, where I'm at. And that is to go with Naomi and as well, go with Naomi's God. 
Somewhere along the way, Ruth seems to have learned about Jehovah. And that appears to me, now I know there's different reasons and people have given different explanations, but this uh, following after the God of Israel seems to me to be the, the, the deciding factor in why one girl uh, picks uh, the option that is recommended to her and which I think the majority of people would take. And Ruth takes the other option, the one that appeared to have not much prospect, but it actually had with it uh, everything that you could possibly want. So Orpah kissed her mother-in-law in parting, but Ruth clung to her. So this now is the turning point, the end of the misfortune. Now it doesn't get better right away, but we start to see the new path and where things are going to go because of the fidelity of Ruth. And so Ruth's complete fidelity to her mother-in-law, almost beyond what you would expect for a daughter-in-law to have uh, for her mother, because I don't think anybody faults Orpah for saying, yes, our, our t- thank you for the time we've had. I wish it had been better, uh, but I'm going to stay here with my people. I don't think anybody faults her for that. I don't think there is any fault in that. But Ruth has gone beyond that into something that's truly special. So verse 15, as Ruth refuses to leave Naomi, we have a, one of the greatest statements of fidelity, of real uh, 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 trust and determination that we find. The kind of thing that ends up being used as a marriage vow, uh, as, as pledges made in marriages, I think makes a, a good summary of the kind of commitment that Christians as disciples of our uh, Savior Christ should make. We find this statement, this great pledge of fidelity, which Ruth kept entirely, not just an empty promise, but one she fulfilled. Verse 16, Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where I go or where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. When you die, I where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord, and she uses the name Jehovah there. If you notice, if you have a translation that uses the word Lord, it's the all caps. It's that substitute we put in for the name Jehovah. So she makes this pledge in the name of Jehovah. Thus may Jehovah do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And so here is this firm pledge of devotion, uh, of meeting the responsibilities that she has taken on, uh, which are, you know, we're supposed to honor father and mother. And the way that she now takes on this pledge to honor the mother-in-law of her deceased husband, in the name of Jehovah, uh, this is extraordinary. Now, maybe it shouldn't be, but we know that it is. Uh, so I have this information uh, about family relationships and the strain and stress that we find sometimes among families. And where it is that people say they have problems with the in-laws. And just even to say the in-laws, that carries a lot of weight and a lot of baggage in some places. Uh, People say that only 5% of the time 
Do they have problems with the brother-in-law? So for all the brother-in-law stories and all the brother-in-law jokes and all the things like that, only one person out of 20 says they have problems with the brother-in-law. Now, when it comes to the father-in-law, it steps up a bit. 12.5% of the people say, when I have problems with the in-laws, it's a father-in-law problem. And some, some father-in-laws aren't so great toward their daughters-in-laws or their son-in-laws. They be a little gruff, especially at the beginning. But usually, it's not that hard to win the father-in-law over eventually. Then the next biggest one is the sister-in-law problem. And again, for all the jokes and all the comedies about the sister-in-laws, the problem with them is only about 13, 14%, about the same as father-in-laws. But then comes the monster in the room, the monster-in-law, the mother-in-law, when there's problems in families with in-laws. Just about half the time, in almost half of all families, people report some kind of problem with the mother-in-law. Not at this house. Not with Naomi. Not with Ruth. These are people who are faithful to one another. These are people who are devoted to God. Ruth here, especially during the time of Judges, she shows more fidelity to Jehovah than almost anybody in Israel. Reminds us of the gospel saying from Jesus in Luke 7 and 9. Jesus said about a foreigner, a centurion. He said, when, when Jesus said, when, he real, when that man said that uh, uh, he could heal his servant without coming because he understood authority and how Jesus worked, Jesus said about that man, he said, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And I think in the time of Judges, if we read through the book of Judges of all the Israelites there, you find somebody in that time of that period who is as faithful to their duties as Ruth is. And if you find one, who's as faithful, you won't find one more faithful because they just don't exist. So, notice this in verse 18. When she saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I got to say, if you want to avoid in-law problems, this would probably be a good practice. When you see that the other one is determined to do a thing, especially if it's not sinful or destructive, When you see a person is determined to do a thing, well, then don't say anything more about it. They've made their decision. Be respectful of their decision. And so Ruth, she sees, uh, Ruth is determined. Naomi sees that. And Naomi says, no more to her. We can counsel people to take our advice. Uh, We can tell them all kinds of good things that they ought to do and how they ought to be and the way things uh, should play out for them and how the course they should take. But once they've made up their decision, follow this verse. When she saw she was determined, she said no more. And so they went. And so it's not something she nagged her all the way back. You know, you really should have stayed. Can't believe you're coming with me. And she didn't do that. She said no more once the decision was made. Now, again, if a person is persisting in the path of sin, yes. Yes, we, we need to say some words about that. But if it's a matter of judgment, no matter even if it changes the whole course of a person's life, even if we thought they should have done otherwise, once they've made their determination, I think we should say no more about it. Well, they go home. They go back to Bethlehem. So verse 19, we find now we're going to have 
the bitter homecoming. So again, this is the first of the story. It's going to be a story of faithful redemption, but we don't see it quite yet. Again, as we've titled this chapter, From Empty to Apparently Less, when they got there, Naomi says, I don't really have anything. Uh, The Lord has dealt harshly with me. Verse 19, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? It looks like Naomi, but, uh, you know, it's hard to tell how after, you know, she was gone at least 10 years. It appears that the 10 years was after the sons were, were married, and it may have been some years before that. She may have been gone 15. She's been gone a while. And is that really her? Is she really back? Uh, imagine the physical toll that uh, a hard decade and, and, and grief multiple times over could take on you. And so it seems that uh, I'm not sure people hardly recognize her for her appearance or hardly recognize her for disbelief, but uh, she is back and it is her. But she says, don't call me Naomi. Now, we said earlier that it's kind of ironic that Bethlehem is the house of bread and they didn't have enough to eat. Well, Naomi means God is sweet. And she said, don't call me God is sweet anymore. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty, El Shaddai, the Lord, has dealt very bitterly with me. I think yet she hasn't realized how good the Lord has been to her. Uh, As we read the poem a while ago, God moves in a mysterious way. There's a there's a frowning providence uh, from behind which a smile comes. Behind a frowning providence, he's, he hides a smiling face. It turns out Naomi had all she needed. She didn't know it yet, though. But she did have all she needed. And the Lord had provided for her so much more than she's yet realized, even though she knows she's got this good, good woman with her who's a, a daughter to her. She's lost her sons, but she's gained a daughter. But she thinks about the last time she was there at that place. She had her husband. She had her young sons. They were going out to the world to find a better place. They didn't find one. And they come back. Well, they didn't come back. She came back. But she came back with this daughter, this foreigner. She knows how much she's been afflicted, but she's yet to think, I believe, I believe she's not yet realized how much she's been blessed. But we do credit her in going back to the place where she knows it's bitter. She knows it's a place of memories that will haunt her. She knows it's a place where those uh, women who say, is that Naomi? It's a place she knows they're going to talk about her. And she just admits it right up front. It's been bitter. It's not been good. Call me bitter. Change my name. But she still went back. And she went back to the place where there was kinfolk. Some of them pretty distant. Because she's lost her immediate family. But she didn't stay away because of pride. There are some who go out to find a better place. And they come back humbled. They come back after bitter experience of life. 
Well, they don't really come all the way back because they don't want people talking about them. They don't want those memories stirred. They reach the depths like the prodigal did, and they don't go back home. She could have gone maybe to another place, or I guess she could have stayed there in Moab. But she didn't let pride keep her from going back. But some won't go home because of pride. And some won't go back to church because of pride. Some won't go back to the places where help might be there and where their place in this world is. You know, there's a place for from. There's a place where people know us. There's a place where we can have and find belonging. And there's a lot of people in this world avoid those places intentionally to their own harm. And often, often, very often to their own regret. But Naomi doesn't. She swallows the bitter pill and she goes back home. So verse 22. Naomi, so Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabites, Midas, her daughter-in-law, who returned with her to the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, it turns out she got there just in time. And she brought just the right person with her. But even in the bitterness here, don't we notice these some of these good qualities, which we said set this story apart from the stories of the same time in the book of Judges? The people here who take oaths in the name of God and mean it. Uh, this, these people here who are faithful to one another, uh, who have uh, a love and a care for one another, who don't dump uh, the people who they have responsibilities to lightly and just move on. They, they have a regard for what's right, and they have a regard for the things of God. And that's going to pay off well for them. And we're going to see that in the coming chapters as we continue our story. And so just when it seems it's the most bitter and there's nothing left much at all, we're going to find there is something there. There is a helper, a helper there who ends up becoming the very picture of God and what God did for us in our helplessness. And so we find the story of redemption and grace that's going to come in the next chapters of the book of Ruth. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.